You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens. Chapter 13, Living Colour. Gabriella, Day 6 of Friga, Midwinter Fall, 1884. On the third day, Harry actually awoke in autumn for the first time, her mind blissfully excited. She and Penny then set to work on the version two legs. Harry thought back to how the great purple cat had moved last summer, her immensely powerful thighs and nimble lower quarters perfectly supporting her weight, both when she stood towering ten feet high and when scrambling on all fours. It was this feline digitigrade rebalancing that she incorporated here. Before Green Hollow, her humanoid lower legs rooted straight down to the ground like two saplings. But if she emulated Harau now, these new ones could travel back at her knees, and the much longer footpiece could then angle forwards, creating a curving, feline leg. If they were shaped just right, she could move far faster than with the straight, ivory ones she had worn on her first day. These V2 models resembled half-moons or sickles, They were constructed of a light, springy material that Penny sourced for them called Elastiel, that bore Harry's weight easily and remembered their intended shape. And best of all, without having to bring in crystals, they required no additional concentration or drain on her energy reserves to operate beyond the physical strength and endurance to move her thighs and keep her upper body balanced. Every push down with her weight stored kinetic energy within the elastiel that could then be harnessed to spring back up and propel her frame forward. I was thinking a different color. Brown. Very dark brown. Brown it is. Strapping them on, Harry paced back and forth in a wobbly fashion within the padded room. She tumbled repeatedly, but elbow pads and gloves allowed her some protection. Gradually, she began to learn how to fall, how to turn her body and protect her face. Throughout the rest of the season, she would begin incorporating those drops into her movements, twisting her body to roll and compensate, able to get upright and moving again within seconds. But for now, she stood aloft in the center of the room, just relishing the ability to be at this height again and seeking that point of stability. The sickles had no heel to them, so she found herself pacing on the spot to stay aloft. The true balance came when she was in motion, and underneath the base where it met the ground, Penny had found her the soles of two Elaine sports shoes to be grafted on. They would last as long as regular footwear. They're amazing. You're amazing. I couldn't have gotten here so fast without you. The Elaine shot back, beaming at her new friend. I'd have gone through revision after revision. Do you get people like me testing these limbs for you? Um, I mean, people missing bits of themselves. We have one swinging by in a bit. Listening to them as they each go through their Soma Oneros has changed the way I do things. Soma... Um, I'm not sure what the right concept for it would be in your language. The lip shell doesn't deal with sill and abstraction perfectly, so sometimes words don't translate one-to-one. Is it healing? Not exactly. And I've heard it described as a healing journey, and that just feels patronizing. But also, it's not a fight exactly, it's an existence spent with an awareness of one's own pain. 
That's why I don't like to use the word healing, because many on this path reach the end in a worse state than they were at the beginning. But the important thing is that this pain is recognized internally and externally and a measure of respect, that might be the word, is afforded to someone going through it. Although I've met plenty of people who don't seem to care and they're difficult to work with. Would, would Soma Oneros cover grief? Grieving definitely seems like it applies. Whether through injury or loss or simply being born with a part of your body missing or shaped irregularly, as you face the world, you are aware of a difference, an absence, and living with that is what makes it sacred. What if... What if a person is not as dignified as you're describing? What if every moment they're awake is a pile of shit, and when they go to sleep, they escape that for a little while, but into horrible dreams where they just relive the same ordeal over and over. And when they're half awake again, reality comes barging back in. What if they're an absolute mess who isn't on a journey at all and it's just a sobbing wreck on the floor most of the time? Penny thought about this for a long while, watching Harry's expression swing from shame to sorrow to anxiety. On some level, I think all Elaine feel the echo of that pain within our sisters and brothers. So that's the underlying foundation of Soma Oneros. It's an acknowledgement. You are seen. I'm seen. There was a knock on the laboratory door and the two of them walked out of the padded room to find Donna Madrigal stood beside a young lad in a wheelchair. He had red padded gloves matching his scarlet fringe. His right calf ended at the ankle. His eyes, like laser-guided missiles, went straight to Harry's new sickles. Tom, it's great to see you again. Penny smiled. My assistant Harry and I were wondering if you could get padded up and come help us test this new device. With that, she slid a cupboard door open and in a flourish revealed a shorter, miniaturized model of Harry's new prosthetics. Tom looked from the large versions to the smaller and grinned broadly. In that moment, Harry's heart leapt and she understood entirely why Penny did this every working day of her life. Gabriella, day seven of Friga, midwinter fall, 1884. Harry paced the deck of the Gallia on double wobbling legs. She had affixed a detachable heel piece to the sickles to make standing still and walking more stable, at the expense of not being able to run on them. However, this high up, 
nothing felt solid. Are you sure you're all right? Uh, yeah. I, I know I said I'd been up on an airship before, but uh, looking back, I was in bed the whole time. And I think I was either asleep or in a spell for a lot of that. I never walked around on deck. In fact, uh, come to think of it, the, the thundercloud didn't even have an open air deck that, that you could just pitch over the side of and... Oh boy. Her head was swimming. I think I've just worked out that I have something of a fear of heights and I, I've just never been high up enough to know that before. Attar sidled up to Penny. People are staring. A peculiar hooded woman in mismatched clothing is about to hit a full-on meltdown. Do something. Without a word, Penny drew closer to the human and reached out to gently grasp her arm and steady her. This contact immediately caused the panic coursing through Harry's system to pause, as though her physiology was weighing up the pros and cons of her predicament, and coming out at something more approaching equilibrium. Would you like to go back inside again? I'm thinking somewhere without windows. Maybe lock yourself in the toilet for the remainder of the flight. Ganny cuffed him with a bagged muffin, sending Attar's perfect hair askew. It's not a bad idea, but maybe just keep me out here for a bit and talk. It's uh, quite a sight. The four of them looked across the railings of the skyship, and as though it knew it was needed, the sun emerged from behind a bank of peach clouds and threw shimmering rays down over the river far below, the light bouncing back up with blinding natural beauty. Attar, how do I get clothes that, that match in the right way? He blinked, adjusted himself, smoothed his hair, and searched for the right words. It's kind of complicated and important what choices you make. No, she, she asked me. Attar interjected. Colors mean things. They may not where you come from, but each one here is a statement about who you are. Harry glanced at the other passengers upon the promenade deck. The women are all in white. All of them. In fact, Penny. Penny, I think you're the only woman with a color at all. I saw a lady with blue sunglasses somewhere. And all the men are wearing black. Most of them with one color in their hair or the lining of their suit or their, uh, um, Accessories, jewelry, gloves, scarves, ties, watches, boots, laces, zips, buttons, eyeglasses, monocles, tattoos, and in some special cases, their irises. You seem to know a lot about it. I study fashions and social trends. Last thing I want to look is passé, uncouth, sloppy. At this last word, he could not resist tilting his head down and up, scrutinizing Harry's ensemble. And how you wear your hair is remarkably important, too. Harry felt a sudden surge of anxiety, but a different flavor to the variety that had just been assuring her that she was going to die if she didn't get off this skyship. She thought back to the time before the April ball last year, and trying on various dresses, how she had expressed interest only in practicality. She realized she didn't give a flying fig about how people in the District of Columbia saw her, but for some reason here, she was feeling an abiding impulse to fit in. She glanced up at the unkempt bushel of hair she was sporting and felt in her pocket for one of the stretchy bands Truth had foisted on her. 
She grabbed a fistful of it and bound the roots tightly. Better? Worse. At this, Harry groaned and spent the next few minutes trying to get the mess under control. Stop. Please. You're murdering it. Uh, What do I do? I'll find you a stylist. Relax. He assured her, a tinge of charity in his voice at last. Should I get it dyed in a specific color? I mean, would that help? What does purple mean for you? Purple means I know my way. It's supposed to be gifted to me by my wife. Oh. You have a wife? Nope. I don't need the judgment of somebody else to tell me I know what I'm doing. I guess not. Well, it suits you. Conceptually. This actively made Atar smile. Remind me to be 40% less mean to you. No, that's a bit too generous. 25% for now. And what does blue signify, Ganny? Did your wife gift you them? Harry's curiosity was stirring. Uh, unmarried here too. I also chose this myself. Blue means I'm a good talker. He glanced across at Penny. And green is for fairness. In response, Penny nodded and touched her own green-gloved hand, as though reassuring herself as to its meaning. Harry was far away for a moment. My mother wore blue. She murmured softly, barely audible over the hammering of enormous propellers. She was one of the best talkers ever. It also means you listen. It stands for integrity and intelligence. Yeah. Harry wiped her eyes. That was her. (laughs) What about red? Passion. That fits. Would anger come under this category? No. Wait, why would wives want to declare that they had an angry husband? She is a fast learner. Atal was genuinely impressed. Yes, they focus on the positives, although there are some tacit underpinnings. Like a lady could be declaring, This one is unruly, and yet I tamed him. The benefits of passionate men are, of course, their sensuality, determination, and zest for life. And the opposition of Bloom means that the downside of all that loquaciousness can sometimes be inaction. I suppose, if you're focused on talking the whole time... Harry pondered, but did not finish the thought. Does green mean anything else besides fairness? To this, Penny put up her hand. I chose it because... Calendula didn't gift it to you. No. In fact, I was wearing it before I met her. Gifting oneself a color is something rebellious kids do. We're supposed to grow out of it. We just haven't yet. None of us. He shrugged, and a peculiar connective energy flowed through the little group. As I was saying... Penny spoke up, a little huffily. Green can equate to healing, which was perfect for the medical profession I wanted to get into. But it also means kindness, and I think that's one of the most important elements of the world. And you don't just see it in people. If you study animals, you'll see them being beastly with one another. But if you look hard enough, you'll also see them being kind. And that's one of the greater meanings behind my green. It's sort of a reminder. You're one of the kindest people I've ever met. So it's working. At this, Penny became exceptionally self-conscious and had to look away. 
An aspect of Green's fairness is justice. Ganny reached up to squeeze Penny's shoulder. If someone's sporting that color and something deeply unfair happens in front of them, you can pretty much be sure of a strong reaction. It's an extension of kindness. It sometimes makes them do foolhardy things. That too. sipped brightly-hued libations from crystalline flutes. Harry held hers up and examined the way it seemed to sparkle in various different golden shades. What about yellow? Her sister seems to favour that colour. Cut in Penny before Attar could respond. A stiffened look bordering on distaste spread across his features. Is she... domineering? <laughs> yup. <laughs> Harry giggled nervously, swaying a little. It seemed the drink was somewhat alcoholic. Controlling. Bingo. A little bit selfish. It's like you know her. But really assertive and determined. And good at getting things done? A born leader? Yeah. That's also true of truth. Perhaps your world isn't all that different from ours after all. One of the flip sides of purple is also how willful and maybe sometimes a little strident that person can be. They can be hurtful without meaning to be. Or they can mean it. All folded in with the passion of red. So what about pink? Like, a really reddish pink. Clever. Cunning. Persuasive. Influential. Manipulative. Soothing. Yes, those are all permutations. But it doesn't mean a person who wears those colors is all of those things. They can be fairly rigid in their decisiveness. Attar touched a streak of magenta, delicately shaded into the purple in his hair. Penny nodded and again looked away over the horizon. A silence ensued until Ganny spoke up. What's your favorite color, Harry? At this, she glanced around, felt immediately impelled to say green, then paused and stopped herself. I think... I think it's either blue or red. Do I have to decide? If you don't want to have everyone looking at you like you're a puzzle they need to have explained to them, then yes. Well, maybe I won't decide. I love them both. Listening to episode 13 of Stone Spring Maidens, Living Color. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Penthesily Renwick, performed by Theo Lee. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Ganymede Ferron, performed by Felix Quist. Atar Rubens, performed by Orion Richardson. Narration by Alexander Shaw. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Relaxing piano music performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including Protean Fields, Skyship, and Steampunk Station, 
by Tabletop Audio. Stone Spring Maidens is available in a gorgeous paperback from Amazon.com, along with the previous nine stories from the New Century Multiverse, and the three newest, Panther Soul, Nightfall of the Wendigo, and Back in Time Plus Space. You should be listening to Through the Wind Door. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. <laughs>